everybody. Good to see you all. Thank you, thank you for being here. It's good to see every one of you. I am excited to have this time together. I've been doing this all summer, and it's always been rich. We only have a half an hour, so here's what I'm going to do. I want to pray. I want to talk about what it means to know, live, and preach the gospel. And that's just going to be the first 15 minutes. And then the last 15 minutes, I want to just open up to talk about anything you want. What I was just talking about, the Daniel series you've been going through this week about what it means to be resilient Christians in an increasingly hostile culture. But also, I've been teaching the Bible and theology and philosophy and apologetics for a long time. And I've been a pastor for a long time, too. And a dad of four amazing kids and my wife. I think we have a picture of my family here. There they are. My wife, is, my wife is incredible. My four kids I love deeply. And so I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, I'm a prof, and most of all, I'm a disciple of Jesus. So we're going to hopefully have a good time together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the joy of being blood-bought, declared righteous, adopted children in your sight, all because of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would leave here knowing you better, knowing ourselves better, and what life is all about better because we gathered for these few fleeting minutes together. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I want us to understand what the good news of Jesus Christ is. And so please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm just going to look at one verse here. I think this gets at the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ as well as anything. 1 Peter 3... I know it's in the back of the Bible, in these little letters that are written after the big letters that are written after the Gospels, after the Old Testament. 1 Peter 3, here it is. Listen to this, these awesome words. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You got that? It's Jesus. It's Jesus suffering for our sins on a cross once for all. Nothing else to add, nothing else to do, nothing else to prove, nothing else to make ourselves worthy of, nothing to demonstrate. Jesus does it for us once for all. And then we recognize that it's unrighteous people, us, he's righteous. In place of all our disobedience, he obeys. And in place of the death and punishment and judgment we should have experienced, he experiences that for us. And so our sins are forgiven. Our disobedience is taken care of through his righteousness. And that is all for what purpose? Not just to be forgiven. Not just to be righteous, but so that we might be brought to God. See it? That he might bring us to God. That's the point of this whole thing. He brings us into relationship with God, which we were created for. Really, the first point of the Christian message is the Lego movie song. Everything really is awesome. And human beings are more awesome than anything God's created in all of creation. And you, then, are part of humanity, which is the, the high point of God's creation. And you're created for a relationship with God. You're created with a life that glorifies God. That's why you exist. So the question then is, how's that going? The Bible tells us not well. We all boot up 
fallen, sinful, the Bible says, basically in rebellion against our creator, which breaks that relationship with him. It breaks our relationship with other people. Look at all the wars raging and the hatred even in, in our own relationships, in our families and in this world. And so we have a broken relationship at every level. We have a broken relationship with creation itself. As we're at war with cancer and, and things that would kill us and do kill us. We're at war within ourselves. Every one of us feels this, this conflicted reality the Apostle Paul talks about of, of doing the very thing I hate. Realizing that there's something we want to do and we don't do it. And it's all because we rebel against our creator. And he's a holy, just, righteous God. So of course he judges sin. He doesn't turn a blind eye to it. Of course he does. And then he, does, he judges sin, but thankfully he doesn't leave us in that, that condition. He sends his son, the eternal son, who becomes a human being 2,000 years ago so that he can obey in place of our disobedience and die the sacrificial judgment death we should have incurred upon ourselves. And then all we do is simply turn from self and sin in repentance to saving faith and trust in Jesus, leaning all our spiritual weight on him, and everything changes. We live God's way instead of ours, and we're new creatures in Christ then. And Jesus is our life, not just a really important part of our life. And that saving faith leads to living out that gospel as we overcome sin more and more in our lives. Not to prove anything, Jesus did it all, but to live according to what God created us to live for. That's where lives of meaning come from. That's where lives of purpose come from and of eternal significance. That's where they come from, trusting Jesus in that way. And so then that leads to living a life as ministers of the gospel. You're not just children of God if you trust Jesus. You're ministers of the good news of Jesus Christ that I just described as clearly as I could from this verse in Peter. And, and so then it leads to this way of living. Look at this passage in Colossians chapter 1. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then the Apostle Paul describes what this feels like. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I think these two verses help us understand what the life of a Christian minister looks like. And I hope you see yourself as someone who God wants to use in the lives of other people in powerful ways. And what that will mean is first, proclaiming Christ. Him we proclaim. That means everything we do should have a radical Christ-centeredness, a Christ-exalting goal, a purpose that wants Jesus to be known, not ourselves. And this is not easy to do because even when we become Christians, it's so easy to just go back to what comes most easily, which is being self-absorbed and self-focused. And so Christian ministry needs to be about Jesus. And we really can't make our legacy, our reputation, how cool people think we are, what we're about. And this is hard to do because you can even say the very words I'm saying now. And not have it be about Jesus. You know, I grew up in the Northeast, in Connecticut, New England, where it's pretty spiritually dead. 
You know, people think California is crazy and, you know, lost their minds. But, but the Northeast is just cold spiritually and dead spiritually. Do you know what the average size church in, in New England is? Less than 70 people. Just a fraction of the people in here right now. And, and the average Christian in New England drives 45 minutes to get to their church. And we don't have cool pastors and churches. When I moved to Southern California, I was amazed. I would say to people, hey, where do you go to church? And almost always, they'd throw out the name of this big-name pastor. Now, this isn't to fault someone who has a lot of influence. It's not what I'm saying. But it was amazing. They would say, oh, yeah, I go to Tommy, Tommy Jones's church. And I'd say, who? And they'd wonder if I was a Christian. That, that's how, how prominent they're in their minds, their pastor, or their worship leader who writes these well-known worship songs, right? These big churches with cool pastors when I moved here in 99 and, and, and smoke machines and really good bands in New England. We got Aunt, Aunt Josie playing the piano not very well. And it's not cool, but it's good. You know, you'll see another Christian in your church from, at a supermarket. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you're completely different in the kind of music you like, your age, your hobbies, your, your job, where you go to school. You'll see each other and say, hey, how's it going? Because your bond is Jesus. It's not this cool celebrity pastor, this really up-and-coming ministry you're all about. And again, it's not to fault those realities necessarily, but what's it all about? Because I could stand here and say, it's all about Jesus, but in my heart, and what I'm really trying to do is make it all about me. That's what we can do in ministry. We're saying, oh, it's all about Jesus, but what we're saying most loudly is, I'm awesome, or we're awesome. When Jesus needs to be so clearly the one we're holding up is the awesome Savior we desperately need. It's got to be about Jesus. And so when you think about your ministry, when you think about how I'm preaching or how Johnny's preaching or how Hume's doing ministry or your church is doing ministry or any, any ministry you're thinking about, you need to ask, is this all about Jesus and the power of the Spirit according to the Scriptures? It's got to be about Him. You know, I'll be dead and in 50 years, no one will remember me. That's a pretty sad existence. If I wasn't living for someone, Jesus, who is alive and who I was created to glorify with my very existence. Him we proclaim. And then I want you to notice that word proclaim. That's a strong word. It's what almost all the words in the New Testament are like, describing what we do verbally with the gospel. We preach Christ. We proclaim Christ. We declare Christ. We announce Christ. We don't just tell our story or share my faith. I preach Jesus. He's the one that I want people to know with boldness. And don't be timid about this, dear ones. Don't be timid. You know, I worked construction for a long time with some really surly characters, played football for 16 years. I knew some really rough guys. And it was amazing to me how they all knew I was a Christian, but they would mock me for not being into pornography or getting drunk with them on the weekends or sleeping with as many women as I could. They would make fun of me for it and say, kid, you have no idea what you're missing out on. What do you think you're doing? They were bold evangelists for immorality, and I found myself being timid telling people about Jesus. 
and wanting to invite somebody to church. We've got it completely flipped upside down. My friends and family members, they don't filter what they say based on what they know I believe. They know I'm a Christian, and they'll talk about horoscopes and how much they believe in horoscopes or karma or these different ideas that aren't Christian ideas. But I don't want them to filter what they're saying. I want them to tell me what they believe so we can have a real relationship. And I would assume they would want the same thing for me. Let's not be timid about preaching Christ, proclaiming Christ, making sure he's known with boldness. Do you know that's the adjective used to describe the disciples in the book of Acts more than any other? Bold. It says things like, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they knew they had been with Jesus. That's right, Jesus was bold. So we preach Christ, we, him we proclaim, and then it says warning everyone. Of what? Warning? Warning? What's that about? Well, when you see warning language in the Bible, it's almost always about judgment day. You see, the Christian view of life is linear. Remember, ge remember geometry? It's linear. It's not cyclical. It's linear. It's heading somewhere for every one of us and for all of human history. The Bible puts it this way. Is it, a, it is appointed a man once to die and then to face the judgment. In other words, every human being who's ever lived, you included, me included, will stand before God on judgment day to answer for how we lived our lives. Will you be ready for that? The only way to be truly ready for it is by finding yourself in Christ, trusting him, claiming his death and life and resurrection for you. That's the only way. Otherwise, you have hell to pay. Judgment. And now I know this is not popular to talk this way these days. The last thing we want to be known as is those hell, fire, and brimstone Christians are always talking about judgment. But don't ever forget that Jesus spoke about hell and judgment more than anybody else in the entire Bible. And it's a vital truth that we have to answer to God for our lives, for the way we live. And so we warn people that judgment day is coming and there is a way of escape for that judgment. And, and that's the warning piece. And we want to teach everyone. That means we have content to what we believe. We study hard. We learn what we believe. We're more than one question deep in what we think. I talk to so many people, and I say, what do you believe about God? And they say things like, oh, I believe God is energy or a rhythm to the universe or God is, is the source of everything or God is in all of us or we're all God. And I'll say, what do you mean by that? Rhythm to the universe. And what do you mean by that? And they don't know. They're barely one question deep. And, I, and then I'll say, and where do you get that? And they don't know. Now, sometimes I know where they got it. And I'll say, you got that from Oprah Winfrey. Or you got that from a Time Magazine article a couple years ago. Or I bet you got that from that really cool, influential 10th grade English teacher who was so compelling to you. You got it from somewhere. So let's be people who know where we're getting truth and we're more than a half a question deep in what we believe so that we can teach. Paul says, that, uh, not Paul, we don't know who, who said this to the Hebrews in the book of Hebrews. By now you ought to be teachers, but instead you're on a steady diet of milk. You're not teaching people because you don't know what you think. You don't know what you believe. You don't do the hard work of understanding the scriptures. So if we're going to be ministers who teach, we need to know what we're talking about. Teaching everyone, why? So that we may present, oh, oh, with all wisdom. 
We do with all wisdom. We don't just blurt it out. We ask good questions. We find out how people think and where they're coming from. I remember I had a conversation for a half an hour with a guy trying to convince him to believe in God. And after a half hour, I finally gave him a chance to talk, and he said, oh, I believe in God. And I thought, oh, that would have been good to know at the beginning of the conversation. I guess I should have asked more questions. That was a waste of half an hour. Let's start there. We could have gone a lot further downstream in this conversation. So we need to be good question askers if we're going to be good ministers. Find out how people think and what they believe and how they're living. And so we can speak into that with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's judgment day language too. That on the day of judgment, what you will have to show for your life most is a God-glorifying life seen fundamentally in people who know Jesus who otherwise wouldn't have if it weren't for your influence that God brought about. And people who did know Jesus who you helped go deeper in their relationships with God. That's what this is about. Presenting people, showing people who know Jesus and know him better because of your influence in your life. And it's not complicated, guys. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. You know, my son Sam is working here this summer. He's 17. He's a great kid. And all those junior high years, he and his buddies would get together, and it would just be meaningless most of the time. And they'd make fun of each other. And it's like, it's just, and I would, I would just say, hey, Sam. Did you have any meaningful conversation when you got together with your buddies today? No, we just, yeah. Come on, Sam. Are you asking good questions? Are you being a leader? Are you saying, hey, listen to what I learned in the Bible this morning. I, I see you reading it sometimes. And are you saying, hey, let's pray together? Or, hey, th this conversation just became dishonoring to girls, so let's change the conversation. Or do you ever say things like, you know what, I think this just became gossip, so let's, let's stop talking this way. Do you, do you ever say, hey, what are you learning in the Bible? Because friends are all Christians, you know, most of them. And, and he'll say, hey, let's, let's pray together once a week. And, he, and I'll say, you're being a leader. And he'll say, Dad, you know how hard it is? None of my friends talk that way. None of us do that. And God got a hold of him a couple years ago when he was a freshman in high school. And he went to one friend and he said to his friend, hey, you want to get together a half hour before school uh, and just read a chapter of Mark and pray together before we go to school together? And the kid said, yes, I'd love that. He was shocked, my son, that his friend was so positive. And they did. And he was afraid other people would find out about it. Because they think he was trying to be super spiritual or something. And people did find out about it. And they begged him to let them in the group with he and his friends. And he, he had this huge influence just because he did something so simple. So that people would know Jesus better because of his influence in their lives. And then Paul says, for this I toil. Struggling. It's hard work. Ministry is really hard work. Just know that going in. But rest where Paul ultimately does look with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The Holy Spirit works in and through us. So even in the midst of the difficulty of ministry, he picks us up and he carries us along and he bears great fruit that otherwise we never would have borne. The Great Commission says this, make disciples of all nations in this verse here in Matthew that we have for you here. This next verse, I believe. We got a verse, guys, up there? No? Okay. Ah, there it is. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go. Jesus gives us his authority, go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples, people who find their lives in Christ, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And Jesus promises that he'll be with us even to the end of the age. If you want to get practical about this, I'm not part of this ministry. This is a totally free ministry decision point. Here's a slide that shows the decision point. Yes, guys, up in the booth. Here we go. We got a slide. There we go. Decision point is an excellent ministry that for youth pastors, youth counselors, high school students, helps equip you to be ministers and leaders and evangelists on your campuses. I got information on the back. Decision Point is really helpful. Uh, they, they help train you. You can get a coach. You can talk about their, their five prayer uh, play, uh, a commitment where you, you decide to pray for five friends this summer. So when you go back to school, you can talk to them about Jesus. So Decision Point is a great opportunity to do that. All right, what do you want to talk about? Questions about what I've been talking about, and then we'll talk about anything. Daniel, and then anything else. Tell me your name. Mitchell. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll be back to you, Mitchell. Don't let me forget, all right? Wave your hand if I, I start to forget you. Who, who, anything about what I'm just saying? Tell me your name. Max. Yeah, yeah, so, so Ma uh, Max, you may be obnoxious. I don't know. I don't know you well enough to tell you. I don't get the sense that that's what's going on. So we don't want to excuse being obnoxious because we happen to be talking about Jesus. I see Christians do that. But if we just talk about him quite naturally, the way we talk about other things we're passionate about, why would anyone think that's obnoxious? People may think it's obnoxious, but that's not really your problem if you're not being obnoxious. They're imposing that on you, so you got to let that just go where it goes. But I, I want, want to encourage people to not fear being obnoxious and don't make it weird. The reason preaching Christ can be weird is because we make it weird. Look, I've been married 34 years. I love my wife. I adore my wife. If you had a conversation with me for an hour and it never came up I was married, when you think that was odd, when you think that was strange that a 34-year marriage never comes up in, a, in an hour conversation when you're wanting to know who I am and we're meeting each other, that's, that's, a, that's a vital, central thing in my life, and I never happen to bring it up. How about if I have a conversation with you sometimes for years in the lover of my soul, Jesus, who gave his life for me, more important than my wife never comes up? That's even more weird. I'm obviously filtering based on what I think you want me to say and who you want me to be rather than who I really am. I don't want my friends to do that for me. That wouldn't be a real relationship. And I don't think they wanted to do it, me to do it for them either. So get after it, Max. I don't think you're obnoxious. All right. Tell me your name. Yeah. William. Yeah. Oh, yeah, communication. So, so knowing where to start with someone when you ask good questions is a really important thing. And then having genuine interest, like Stephen DeSena. Is he your, he your counselor this week? You couldn't have a better counselor than that amazing, godly man there, brother. Um, no, it's true. So, yeah, it, that dude asks good questions, does he not? 
No, no. No, he, he's, an ama- he's a student at Biola, incredible guy. But one of the reasons people love Stephen so much is because he, he has genuine interest and concern in other people. And he asks good questions that naturally flow from that. If that's how you are with people, they're going to not want to know what makes you tick. Why are you so different than most people who are completely self-absorbed is what they're going to want to know. And you can say, oh, because Jesus died for me. I love because he first loved me is what you can say. It's beautiful. All right. What else? Tell me your name. Logan. Logan. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I have a similar thing. I teach at Biola where we're Christians. I, I'm a pastor of a church where the majority of us are Christians. So I need to look for opportunities. To, I, I played real football for 16 years, and then I played highly competitive flag football for 20, mostly so I could stay with non-Christians outside of the normal environments I was in. And, and then look for opportunities just at the park. When I travel, you know, I hear preachers talk about plain conversations, that's because we gotta, we got to make the most of the times we do have with unbelievers because we spend so much time with believers. So intentionally look for those opportunities. Sometimes all it takes, like I used to take some guys over to the community college during lunch, and we would just sit down and say, hey, what do you think about Jesus to people? And have great conversations. I remember one time I talked to a kid named Matt, and I said, Matt, I, just said, I said, uh, who's your hero? And he said, Frank Lloyd Wright. And I said, what do you want most in life? And he said, meaningful relationships. And then I asked him some other questions. And I didn't say anything. I said, hey, based on your answers to these questions, could I just write you a letter as a Christian responding to your answers? And he said, that'd be really cool. Gave me his address. This is back when we wrote letters. I studied Frank Lloyd Wright, and I found out his hero didn't have one meaningful relationship in his life. He was an, he's an architect. This kid was an architecture major. He was an egomaniac. And I was able to write this kid this letter and say, hey, do you realize your hero didn't have what you want most? Maybe you could reevaluate your heroes. And I think meaningful relationships is what we're created for. I think your goal is perfect. But Frank Lloyd Wright ain't going to get you there. Jesus will. So you have opportunities when you talk to people just throughout your life to, to have great conversations. If you stop just talking about the weather and the Lakers and, you know, and get to, hey, tell me about your family. Oh, your parents were divorced when you were six. That must have been tough. What's your relationship like with your parents now? You haven't talked to your dad in two years. That must be heartbreaking. How do you deal with that? Before you know it, you're talking about really important God things, right? And so, so just look for opportunities whenever you're about, and, and then get outside a, a just Christian environment. It, it's good for your soul, too. You know what Paul says in Philemon, verse 6? He says, I pray you will be active in sharing your faith, Philemon, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Yes, so that the other person will too, but so that you will, because when you speak well of something, it makes it more precious to you, doesn't it? So you need that for your own spiritual growth as well as being used by God in other people's lives. Hope that's helpful. Yeah, tell me your name. Juno. Great name. Yeah, yeah, so how would, how would you preach to your atheist friends without them thinking you're pushing it on them? Great question, Juno. The first thing is to understand and help your friends understand the nature of Christian faith, which can't be pushed on anyone. There are religions that demand you become part of their religion or they'll kill you. 
I mean, there are religions who view being part of the religion in that sort of way. Say these words, make these commitments, do these things, be part of us, or we'll kill you. Uh, That's not Christian faith. Christian faith can't be coerced. It can't be imposed. It can't be required. It's got to be something you do. And, and so that's the first thing. When we preach Christ, we're not imposing or, or uh, doing anything that's trying to make somebody do anything. God has to do a work in their hearts. We're just messengers. So that's the first thing they need to know. And the second thing they need to know is because we love Jesus and find our lives in him, and because we love them, how could we not tell them what we think is the most important thing they could ever do? That would be profoundly unloving, wouldn't it? Look, if you found the cure to cancer and you didn't tell me when I had cancer, you're a horrible, hateful person. And we have the cure to something worse than cancer, sin, and it's the gospel. How hateful would it be for me to withhold that from you when you desperately need that cure? Now, you may not agree with me, and I get that, but that doesn't mean I'm going to keep from telling you I think I found the cure. Yes, Juno? All right. Over here, what I, there you go, tell me your name again, Mitchell, Donut, I love donuts, good ones, not bad ones, he has a donut on his shirt, I'm not, I didn't just flip out in a Biden moment there, it was just, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, good. Yes, uh, phenomenal question. As Gen Z, as the first Christians to be persecuted in this culture throughout history and around the world, lots of Christians are being persecuted, sometimes more than ever in the world. Um, should we be worried about this, the increasing persecution? Not worried, but aware. And doing everything you can to put on the full armor of God to be prepared for the attacks that are going to come your way. I'm going to be dead and in the ground. And you guys are going to be experiencing a kind of pushback against your life as Christians that my generation's never seen and the ones before have never seen. One, arch, one bishop in Chicago, Roman Catholic bishop in Chicago said, I think I'm going to be the last man in my position who dies in my bed. He said, I think my successor is going to die in prison for his faith and his successor is going to die a martyr. And his successor will be the one left to start to pick up the pieces of a culture that's completely disintegrated because it's lost its Christian mores. And so you need to be ready for that. Somebody said, when I was a kid, being a good Christian could get you a job. Today, it might cost you your job. You need to be ready for that. It's part of the deal. Jesus said, the world hated me. It's going to hate you. No, it's part of the deal. Don't be surprised by it and love your enemies. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace and for the power of the gospel and for the Spirit's enabling to meet any obstacle or challenge that comes our way, whatever it looks like and from wherever it comes. Lord, bless these dear young people. Help them to know that you're with them and for them and that Jesus is everything. And use them powerfully, Lord, in the lives of the people you already have in their lives. And for however many days you give them on this earth, I pray they'd walk in faithfulness and fruitfulness for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you. Goodbye.